All right, Joe Roeder from Red's Fly Shop here, the Bend Podcast, sitting on the banks of the Yakima River. Today we're going to talk about fly fishing versus hunting. Two sports are quite similar. Uh, I'm an avid hunter myself, bow hunter, rifle hunter, shotgunner, a little bit of shotgunning, <laughs> more of a big game hunter and fly fisherman myself. But uh, here at Red's, the two go hand in hand, and we're just going to have a discussion today uh, We've got an exciting event coming up that we want to tell you about, but more than anything, we just want to have a discussion about kind of fly fishing versus hunting and, and how one might fall in love with one and the other instead of one or the other. So I'm sitting here chatting with Curtis Frisbee. He directs uh, our shooting sports uh, and hunting operations here at Red's Fly Shop and Canyon River Ranch uh, Resort in the Yakima Canyon. And uh, he's also pro fly fisherman and uh, fly fishing guide uh, for us as well. So uh, welcome, Curtis, podcast number two for you. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, pleasure to be back. <laughs> yeah, so Curtis, uh, you know, was, was hunting or fishing your first love? You know, for me personally, uh, the reason I had a fly rod in my hand is because uh, there wasn't a hunting uh, season available at the time. And so absolutely love both sides of the game. Um, but, you know, we, me personally, I'm more on the hunting side of things. And uh, it, for the couple months out of the year why, why we don't have the opportunity to go chase things around in the hills, then uh, the, there's nothing better for me to, to, to go tear up a few trout on the river. <laughs> yeah. Well, for me, I... You know, I started fly fishing. I learned how to, I don't even remember when I cast my first fly rod. I don't have one of those, you know, <laughs> stories about <laughs> grandpa taking me to the, the, the river for the first time and blah, blah, blah. I don't even remember the exact, I remember the first fish that I really caught on a fly rod that was an actual catch. Mm-hmm. It was about 12 and, and my uncle, uh, my uncle actually lived off grid at a place called Domkey Lake. In the upper Lake Chelan, right at the edge of the Glacier Peak Wilderness. So maybe I do have kind of one of those stories. But I don't think that was the first experience I had with a fly rod. <laughs> but I will share that story here because I think it is very parallel to kind of my first hunting experience, if you will. Because it's the, it's the memory that stands out in my mind as my first proper trout caught properly on a fly rod. Where I wasn't just beating the water to a froth. So my uncle lived off-grid. Um, he still lives off grid up there. Uh, his cabin burnt down in one of the big, uh, wildfires that went through the Glacier Peak wilderness, uh, year before last, but he ran a small fishing resort up there on Donkey Lake. And the only access to the lake was by float plane, uh, or you could ride uh, a boat up Lake Chelan, which is essentially a, it's a 55 mile lake that projects into the North Cascades, extremely rugged mountainous terrain around it. Uh, and then you could do a three mile hike from the lake up. Uh, from the main lake up to this smaller mountain lake and then at the remote small mountain lake no electricity or anything like that my uncle ran a fishing resort but i remember being uh at his place and uh he had a fly rod and uh of course it was bamboo totally old school he was a fur trapper <laughs> at one point for crying out loud uh so he had legit stuff but i remember that my uncle sid was the only one that could make the fly rod work <laughs> like we would try, right? Bunch of us teenagers. Just, he must have made him sick watching us abuse that bamboo fly rod. But he was the only one that could make it work. And then finally, he probably got frustrated enough that he was just like, hey, I got to show this kid what to do, you know? And I remember being out on his dock and we could see these cutthroat, pretty nice cutthroat, like 12 or 13 inches. 
and they were cruising around and he worked with me on the cast and they were about oh i in my memory they looked 60 feet away i'm sure they were probably 25 feet away <laughs> 15 feet it probably wasn't as dramatic as i remember but i remember seeing the cutthroat out there and if i made a bad they were very cooperative they were high mountain trout right <laughs> but if i laid the cast down bad they would kind of flee and then they'd go back under the sticks for a while but they couldn't help it they'd kind of come back out and then finally I made that one perfect shot where the fly delivered properly and I could see the fish coming and I still, it's burned into my mind to this day. And I fish swims up and I catch the fish on a proper cast and a proper shot. And to me, that was, that was really like my most, my first and earliest memory of being successful on a fly. After that, I fly fish just a little bit, but in our upbringing, you know, it was pre-social media and uh, at least for me, uh, I have gray hair. Curtis does not. I got a few uh, years left. You got a few years, good years left in you. But I grew up no social media and we didn't know that you had to choose back then between bass fishing, tackle fishing, salmon trolling, or fly fishing. We didn't know the rules. I didn't know I had to choose, right? So I went on to go do a lot of light line bass fishing, which I love that predatory nature of light line bass fishing with light spinning tackle and, and soft very neutrally weighted soft plastic. So I'll give a shout out to all the bass fishermen who love fishing unweighted soft plastics because I think it's like super zen-like. But uh, I took a break from fly fishing. I got super into it when I came to college near the Acoma River when I turned 18, fell head over heels, went just just bananas for, for fly fishing and became a guide shortly after and the rest is history. But that shot and that memory was as close, I'd already shot bows and arrows to that point, and I started bow hunting when I was 14. I'm 38 now, so I'm quite a few years into this archery thing. And as I look back, that shot with that fly, the way it delivered and I got my prey, was the closest thing to bow hunting I had experienced outside of bow hunting to that point. And I absolutely fell in love with it at that time. And of course, I took a little break from it because where I grew up, I didn't have the fly fishing resources that I did now, or at least I didn't know about them. The internet has opened up so many information sharing opportunities about where to fish. In retrospect, there was a lot more fly fishing where I grew up. But uh, for me, that was really what merged me. You know, I've always been a bow hunter. I've always been a fly fisherman, really, since I was old enough to drive myself and make my own, you know, my own recreational decisions. I've bow hunted and fly fished. And I always joke, too, I've got a pretty good racket. I get to fish my brains out for my job so that I can hunt my brains out on my time off you got it which is a pretty good parallel but that's kind of where i like drew you know i i the two really merged there for me and i from then on i've always kind of fly fished the way i hunt and that is you know there's consequence to ill steps if i if i cast a shadow make noise or make splashes it would be the equivalent of snapping a loud stick when still hunting for deer or elk or whatever you know game i'm after there's consequence. It's a predator and prey relationship to both deer, big game, whatever, and trout. The trout, it's not a game to them, right? They're trying to escape with their life. And I've always fly fished with that kind of sense. And I'm not, you know, you know, super commando when I fish all the time. I mean, I'm not putting face paint on to go fly fishing, <laughs> but I do, I do respect the, the trout's defense mechanisms and their desire to stay alive. And I respect their, their, kind of their uh their nature for being low on the food chain and not wanting to die because every time they eat something they're exerting risk whether it's coming to the surface or making a bad decision or putting themselves 
in a vulnerable position. So that's really where I kind of started with my fly fishing and archery being similar. Of course, I went on to, to hunt with rifles and shotguns, and I enjoy all you know, many disciplines of hunting, uh, in addition to many disciplines of fishing in general, but primarily fly fishing. I mean, I fly fish 98% of the time. I might pick up a tackle rod every now and then, but... <laughs> I, you know, and you can tell me, you know, you've done so, you have such a broad sporting background from your upbringing, but kind of share with me, you know, the, where you found there to be barriers between like, do you have to be a fly fisherman? Do you have to be a hunter? Sure, absolutely. Because your dad was a professional bass fisherman, right? Yeah. And so like exactly what you mentioned there, what, what really brought the, the light and the, the passion for fishing, uh, was actually fly fishing for me. And so having grown up as a, uh, my dad being a, a very high end bass fisherman and, and doing it professionally for years, um, I, I as a kid didn't see, um, going out and sitting on the back back of the boat and dragging around and, and freezing freezing my tail off, you know, to be something ideal for a younger kid. And so where I really developed my passion for, for fly fishing and fishing in general was through college. And so uh, over in college I, at the University of Nevada there, the Truckee River flows right through it. Um, just an awesome little river to learn on. Man, Joe, there was, when I first started, I can remember going out fly fishing for 30, 60 days at a time and not catching a fish. And so uh, <laughs> what I finally did is the, the PFA guys came to town and I really went out and observed um, some fishermen that knew what they were who, doing. Who, who are those guys? Uh, the professional fly angler tour, the, the, the PFA guys that, that travel around and, and Gotcha, fish. Team USA. Yeah, you got it. And so I actually have uh, uh, extremely blessed and uh, one of my mentors for fly fishing um, is part of Team USA there, Mike Sexton. He is an absolute, just phenomenal guy and um, very uh, uh, prone to, to sharing information that not a whole lot of guys would at the time. So had an awesome mentor growing up. Um, and kind of that, that introduced me to fly fishing and through that, you know, being able to get out and work a section of river that you know a fish is sitting in rather than, uh, you know, going out on a bass boat and, and a big lake, uh, fish can escape anywhere, man. But, uh, on a river here, you know, that, uh, you can look at a piece of water and determine whether there should be fish or not in it. And I just really enjoyed and loved the challenge of, of, of targeting certain sections of water and trying to produce fish out of it which is is really kind of got me into the check nymphing side of things the high sticking kind of what we've talked about a little bit we'll get more into that later so um, your dad was not a fly fisherman no absolutely not no My, I, mine <laughs> was not either we did almost exclusively big water tackle fishing yep and uh i became really intrigued by fly fishing i think because uh my dad didn't introduce me to it mm -hmm. and uh for anybody listening with kids, don't feel like you got to get your kids out there fly fishing right away. You're, there's plenty of time. Neither Curtis or I started really seriously, seriously fly fishing till we were probably both about 18. Yep, you know, you took exactly. off for college, and that's when I really, when I could start making my own recreational decisions. Right? <laughs> dad wasn't, dad wasn't driving the truck anymore. I could go where I wanted to go and do it the way I wanted to do it. So. Uh, Okay, so dad didn't fly fish. Yeah, just very so very similar upbringings, and dad didn't fly fish. I got myself into it, um, and really I just learned by by going out and experiencing the river. I really had a passion for for nature and just getting out on the water. It didn't matter whether I was catching fish or not in the beginning stages, and it still doesn't to this day. Um, I definitely look at every opportunity to fish it as a, as a bonus, but uh, you know, at, just in the early stages, really just sticking with it instead of letting. 
uh, or getting overwhelmed at the time and just giving up on the sport, I, I, I sat there and I go, you know what, there, there's got to be a better way of doing this. And, and so I got into the, the uh, entomology of things and really started uh, studying hatch charts and figuring out what fish would eat in certain times of year and and to be able to go home and and at night tie a a fly and then go out and fish it the next day that was the most gratifying thing in the world for me through college and and uh, that's what really really drove and and fueled my passion for fly fishing what were you doing hunting wise prior to your introduction to fly fishing sure so that's a great point as well my dad uh, grew up as outdoorsman like crazy he has just just he harvested more animals than anybody I know. And um, I, I wasn't so uh, fortunate because by the time I was in that age group, my dad um, was working a ton at the time. And so we never got to go out a, a ton, like, you know, like you said, your storybook family and go hunting with uh, grandpa and, and, and dad. Um, it was more of a, once I was in college, I really just wanted to um, kind of explore other opportunities because you know fly fishing was great but to do it 365 days a year um, it's nice to have the balance of other hobbies as well um, which is you know the top of the topic of this podcast here and so to to be able to go out and have the opportunity at harvesting something not necessarily for the horns or or what have you I don't do it for trophy status I go out and to be able to put food uh, on, on the table for your friends and family for the, the remainder of the year that that right there and and to have the to be the only person through the process to be able to harvest it um, to, to be the butcher and actually you know cook it up and serve it to your friends and family that is the most gratifying thing in the world you know it's not like meat at the store with that may have been touched by 10 different people and so for the opportunity to be able to, to feed my friends and family with my off time from fishing and then just is really just you know tackle my passion for the other nine months of the year of, of fishing really hard was just phenomenal through so college you there. but you were doing some hunting before you got into fly fishing yep exactly yeah. and see so you and your dad had gone not as much as he did when he was younger but that point is you you hunting was a, a bigger part of your upbringing and your outdoorsmanship than fly fishing in your youth yep exactly yeah definitely for me too i mean we fished a lot but um i started you know tagging along on hunting trips when i was a kid and man some of the most memorable ones with my dad were uh i can think of one in particular that we never we never killed anything mm-hmm. oh my gosh we but i remember that more vividly in my mind uh my dad wasn't, my dad was a kind of more of a harvester. Mm-hmm. I mean, he would pick mushrooms and blackberries and huckleberries and, and we would get a deer and the point of deer hunting was to go get some, you know, they, they didn't use the term organic at the time, right? I mean, that's <laughs> just gather. Was, yeah. They just want some game meat, right? It's <laughs> the opportunity to go fill a deer tag and get some deer. And, and of course, you know, my dad's very utilitarian. He's going to use the tongue, the heart, the liver. I mean, uh, I still remember my grandma, uh, rendering bear fat. Um, and actually, I mean, that's coming back again, actually, as people are gaining an appreciation for everything natural and wild. But my dad wasn't a real adventurous hunter. There was a purpose to it. And we, during the hunt, if he wanted to stop and pick chanterelles, my mm-hmm. dad would stop and pick chanterelles. Uh, and, and that whole trend, it's funny how we're, you know, everything comes back around and that, that kind of that utilitarian use of nature and wildlife that was so prevalent, you know, 50 years ago, we're finally figuring out, hey, grandpa was doing it right. But... <laughs> The, the hunt that I remember, we, we never we never got anything. But I remember we went and we hiked into some of the highest, most rugged, steepest country, and we walked nine miles that day. And we saw some great big, you know, deer tracks. We're hunting uh, basically Cascade Blacktail right near the Pacific Crest. 
uh, and we saw enormous deer tracks, bigger than anything I ever saw in the low country. And as mm -hmm. a kid, you're just looking at these tracks. And we tracked that buck for quite a while. Uh, and uh, it was right after a rainstorm. And so we were actually able to track quite a while. And then we saw a bunch of bear scat, you know, and like hunting up higher. You know, we didn't have a lot of bears in the lowlands of western Washington where I grew up. But we're up in the mountains seeing big, great big piles of bear poop. And, man, as a kid, you're like, wow. You know, so a lot of those memories still stuck out in my mind. We never even, I don't even think we saw an animal that day. And that was one of my most vivid experiences. And, you know, I think that, you know, fly fishing trips in the same way don't necessarily for some reason stand out in people's minds like it, they do hunting. But I think there's a tremendous amount of value in those fly fishing trips where you aren't able to harvest something, whether you're keeping fish or just releasing them, uh, that people don't necessarily recognize the value. And hunting, it's, you know, escalated somehow for me. And uh, I really got hooked on the outdoors very easily. Sure. Uh, as a kid. Um, <clears throat> but now regarding this, you know, this lack of, uh, uh, I don't know if there's a lack of appreciation. Maybe I'm making that up or maybe that's just me when I don't catch anything. I go home pouty. I, I, I don't really think that's the case, but <laughs> let's talk about parallels in fishing and hunting and how the skills, like what I've learned. I mean, I can't even put on paper everything I've learned about fly fishing from hunting and vice versa, but, uh, talking about not catching fish in, in those trips, maybe are more forgettable. And I guess that's probably not necessarily true. When we were talking about before we did this podcast, we were having a, just a normal conversation. We're recording, and then at some point we just flipped the mic on. But uh, we were talking about scouting trips for hunting. Mm -hmm. And for hunting, a hunter is, you know, the season's short. You know, I think our rifle deer season in, in Washington State for mule deer uh, is about 11 days and we tend to spend a fair amount of time, a prepared hunter is going to spend a fair amount of time scouting. Sure. He's going to figure out, what. well, you tell me, what kind of stuff is a hunter, just real brief, what are we going to figure out before the season starts? Yeah, it's all about, you know, where the animals are and, and kind of where the foliage is and where where they're headed, um, at least for the, the, the early season type thing. Um, you know, we're, we're looking at the the animals are going to be doing different things such as ruts and, and what have you earlier on in the year um, and then we're kind of working to um, as far as like your pack and stuff Joe is, is what you're wanting to dive no, into. Like I'm, I'm thinking more in terms of like hey somebody better figure out where they're going to park where they're sure. going to hike you know where they're going to go absolutely what county are they going to be mm -hmm. in I mean all that kind of stuff you, you have a couple layers to that preseason prep mm -hmm. and in hunting it's pretty obvious we're going to figure out where we're going to park where we're going to go uh where we're going to hike you know what ridges we might hike where we might see animals because we're going to go look for tracks we're going yep. to look for sign we're going to look for beds rub scat all that kind of stuff we might even do a little bit of research uh every state department of fish and wildlife has harvest reports you mm -hmm. can go look and see what the populations of deer are but with fishing so i mean there's and we could go on this is not meant to be a how to hunt podcast uh but with fishing, we can do all that same stuff. Sure. But, you know, we're, we're chatting earlier, and with fishing, somebody had better go, like, before they expect to catch trout, they'd probably better go check it out first mm -hmm. and take a good look at the water and take a good look at the river, figure out whether they can even wade that area, where they're going to park. Can they cross the river, or is it too swift? 
uh, are there going to be too many stickers for me to get down to the river right here? But people like don't treat fly fishing like they're going to scout. And I've totally flipped that around. If I'm going to go fish a new piece of water, I generally don't expect to have a lot of success the mm -hmm. first time. I'll just set aside a half a day for a picnic, you know, for the family, man. I'll just get in the truck and we'll go, hey, let's go drive, you know, such and such canyon. If I'm going to go fish the, let's name a river near here, the Tyatan River. If I'm going to go fish the Tyatan River, sure, I can go do a little fishing on the Tyatan River. But the first thing I better do is just make sure and, you know, maybe go for a short day and just go, hey, I'm going to spend an hour or two driving around, figuring out where I'm going to park, where I'm going to go. And I could do a lot of that before the season even opens, so I'm not wasting, you know, any precious time. But... I think the application of scouting is definitely something that I've adopted from hunting and applied it towards fishing. Sure, and with, with streams and rivers, you're confined to a certain section. There's not rivers everywhere throughout the state, and so with, with hunting, you get a, a GMU, and so you might have half the state that you can go um, and, and, and access and actually hunt, and so there's a lot more land and a lot more scouting that may go into one of those trips rather than a fishing trip. You're, you're, you know what kind of river you're going to fish, about the same size, um, what species you're targeting, and so there's, there's definitely some planning and preparation that goes in, in, into that. But with a, a big game hunt, you just have a lot more land, um, and, and there's a lot more uh, preparation that would maybe have to go into to going back six, seven days in the middle of the nowhere and being able to, to have everything in your pack with you um, to be able to survive and, and get out safely. And so um, with rivers, uh, a lot of the times, you know, you're within a half an hour of, of a road that you're going to have a little bit better access. And, um, and so, yeah, the, the preparation side of things, um, definitely you're, you're going to um, increase your odds of success in either aspect, hunting or fishing. Um, but definitely the, the hunting side of things, there's a lot more that may go into something, knocking an elk down six, seven miles back. There's a, there's a ton of, uh, of work to go in after the fact as well. And so uh, a little more preparation involved in, in that side. Yeah, a little bit more prep involved in some of the hunting stuff. But, you know, like we were talking to those two jokers yesterday about elk hunting in the shop <laughs> that came in. And I, I will tell you, I've learned this from... You know, being both a fisherman and a hunter, there are so many skills that you learn. And one of them is you can't fish at all. Mm -hmm. You can't hunt at all, you know. So these guys came in to ask me for some advice on where to go kill a giant bull elk. And I'm happy to try to help them. They had a special tag, and I think it's really cool. I wish them the best of luck, and I just call them jokers just because it was hard to give them advice because, you know, I don't know how much advice they really wanted, even <laughs> though they asked for advice. But, uh you know, you know, those guys are looking at this massive, massive amounts of land and these gigantic land tracks. And it's like, well, we could go here, here and check over here. And I'm like, dude, you're looking at 50 square miles. Like you can't hunt all that and expect success. That would be quite arrogant to think that. And I'm not calling this gentleman arrogant. I'm just saying it's human nature. It would be arrogant to think that you can effectively try to cover that much ground and still fool wild game right i mean you're you're up against and and you're matching wits with a living thinking critter whether it's a trout or an elk deer bear even the with the wily pheasant right so you're <laughs> matching wits with with a living thinking critter and what i've learned in fishing is and i heard this quote and it is one of the most profound quotes as it applies to both hunting and fishing and harvesting game is if you like where you're at you like the stream you're fishing, the particular hole or little micro section of river. Maybe it's a quarter to half mile section of river 
or one lake shore or one canyon in the mountains that you're hunting big game. If you like that spot, guess what? Stick with it because it's better than you think it is. Mm-hmm. It is better than you think. It would. It's it's in all humans' nature to to have ego when thinking about how successful they're going to be. And so, what we think is we go to that one fishing hole, we don't catch a fish. Well, we need to move, or we need to try to cover more water, or we need to move faster. We need to move further. I'm going to fish here, and then we're going to go down here. And I see it all the time on this river we're sitting in front of right now. Is I see a lot of people float way, way, way too much water instead of going. You know, I'm going to go slow, and I'm going to I'm going to deductively eliminate either one. What fly I'm going to use? That fly doesn't work, and I'm going to adequately give it a chance. Or this spot behind this rock, I'm going to fish it until I can definitely prove yay or nay. There's not a fish there. But my point is, wherever you're fishing or hunting, it's probably better than you think it is. And I've certainly learned to isolate my efforts to much smaller areas. If I'm going to go fish a particular stretch of water, and I'm going to spend a few days. In an area, I'm going to find area that I like. I like the look of it. It's pretty. I like, you know, I like how the water feels against my legs. Whatever it is, I, you know, maybe you like the water depth and speed wherever you're at. Figure out what you like doing and then stick with it in much smaller doses or increments because it's better water than you think. If you go there for the first time and you you you, you expect results, you're going to be sorely disappointed. You need to go there and scout it. You need to check it. You need to deduce that these strategies either work or don't work, and you need to give those particulars a chance. And I've really learned that in hunting, especially with some of the special permit hunt opportunities I've had. And for those that aren't hunters, and I'm guessing that most listeners probably aren't, hopefully they're intrigued by it because hunters and fishermen need each other in order to preserve and protect the wild fishing game populations that we have in this great country. But I've learned this from hunting and some of the special or unique opportunities that I've had is you feel this angst to succeed because you've been blessed with, you know, say a lottery permit where you have, you know, an advantageous season or mm-hmm. whatever it might be. And you end up scrambling around, driving around too much, hiking around too much, going here, going there, you know, chasing neon rainbows. And at the end of the, at the end of it all, you probably should have just isolated your efforts to an area that you thought was pretty that you like being there you like the feel of it the look of it etc and you'd probably end up being more successful so i just found that to be true in hunting and it applies so much to fishing as i've gotten a little bit more experience as a guide i've definitely began to hyper focus my efforts into smaller areas hey and then before I, i i hand this next topic off to you you mentioned something uh you were talking about learning a little bit about what the fish eat, right? So you were mm-hmm. saying you learned etymology. and But then, and I don't think you necessarily tied the two together, but it's a brilliant point. Like, when you get into big game hunting, you're going to need to learn what deer eat, mm-hmm. what bears eat, what elk eat, what antelope eat, and what their behavior and you really get to inter- insert yourself into nature in a way that a sheer observer of nature and not a participant in that cycle of life would never pay attention to. Most people wouldn't pay attention to what, what do elk eat, you know? Exactly. What are their behavior characteristics? But um, and Like you mentioned, you know, setting a realistic expectation. And so Joe and I were just talking right before we started this podcast about what my plan for big game hunting this year. 
And something that, that we mentioned is I just haven't had a ton of time to, to get out and do a ton of scouting. So what I'm personally going to do is use my hunting trips this year, uh, the first couple times out as scouting trips with the bow in my hand. My expectation isn't to go harvest an animal. It's just that I want to see a new GMU. I want to go on a, a couple mile hike. I want to get out and enjoy nature. I'm going to happen to have a bow in my hand and, and just in case uh, I get extremely lucky and there is an opportunity to rise. But um, just really having that expectation of I'm just going out on a nature walk with a bow in my hand and I'm setting myself up for success that way. Where if I'm, you know, going out and saying, hey, I need to, to harvest something, it, I'm going to go out and absolutely kill myself trying to hike too many mountains instead of really focusing on one specific area, as we mentioned. And, and, and just really the expectation process for me personally is huge. And so, um, you know, even... It, relating it to fishing as well when i go out fishing i'm going out just to enjoy a new canyon or, or what have you get to see a blue ribbon stream um, and and every fish is a bonus now granted the next time i may go out i may be looking at uh um, really trying to target certain types of water on that specific stream to in order to catch more big fish or what have you so yeah it, what you're talking about is engaging in a multi-year plan so hunters have been doing that for years so Hunters, have, some of the best hunting advice I've ever gotten is your first year is your prelim scouting trip. You're going to learn, you know, you're going to be an observer at that time. Like I said, it would be very arrogant to think you're going to be successful your first trip down. You learn a little bit about it. Even the best spots, this is both fishing and hunting, don't produce every single time you're there, even for the best person. And that's a harsh reality for people that are just kind of getting into it. But what you're engaging in is like a multi-year plan where your first year you're going to learn all the boundaries, all the terrain, a little bit about it. Maybe you'll have success, probably not. Second year, you're going to have a little bit greater likelihood of success. By your third year or in fishing terms, maybe your third trip, Sure, you might now begin to generate much more success. And we're going to use those trips in a very specific pattern to go, okay, we're going to learn where, where do I park? Where do I go? Do I like this spot? Um, kind of going to build a, a, a system for yourself on where you're going to go, the logistics of it. You know, if I fish till dark here, how long does it take me to walk out? All that little stuff that people listening probably hadn't even considered till I <laughs> And then by your third or fourth fishing trip, you're beginning to expect or generate success for hunting because the seasons are much more condensed. You're looking at a multi-year plan, and you're being very patient in that sense. And that's one of the major things I've learned about hunting is setting a plan for yourself. You know, you know, for fishing, doesn't have to be the same way. I think for steelhead and salmon fishermen that are listening to this podcast, you know, the salmon runs and steelhead runs are going to vary a little bit each year. And if your goal is to become a proficient salmon or steelhead angler, you're not doing it in one season. You're not doing it in one day. Sure. So please take my advice in this fall, start to build a system for yourself. Figure out what river you like, what runs you like, where to park, where to go, where to stand, what rock to be on opening morning. I mean, that's one of my sayings from big game hunting is you should know what rock you're going to be looking through your binoculars on opening morning. For a steelhead or salmon angler, you should know what rock you're going to be on at daylight. And when you've scouted, and, and you've made those kind of those pre-game, uh, yeah, those, pre, those pre-game decisions on where you're going to go. I think for salmon and steelhead fishermen, it's very similar in that sense. So that by the third season, you're a proficient salmon or steelhead angler by that point. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen overnight. Don't expect short-term success. 
plan ahead, get yourself prepared. Um, but those are definitely some of the parallels that I've learned. And then just, I would say I'd reiterate that predator and prey relationship because, you know, you're a guide. When you see, like, name some of the attributes that you think some of the best fishermen have. Like, you're just going to go guide a couple guys this afternoon. I mean, what are, like, the skills that those guys have? What would you say the tangible skills are, or I guess, common denominators of the best fishermen that you take? Sure. So, obviously, patience. Patience has got to be in the, in the talk with that, um, and, and persistence as well. Being able to... to efficiency or efficiently deliver a cast on within an inch of the bank you know countless times throughout the day and being able to repetitively uh, deliver that cast without getting um, uh, letting emotions get involved instead of um, you know not expecting a fish to hit it each time just but but really just patience and 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 uh, and persistence as far as uh, two main characteristics of fishermen that I see um, that really helps out on the boat and not getting, you know, not letting their attitude uh, get in the way as well. Just really Yeah, so if a dude's been conditioned to sit in a tree stand for 10 hours at a time and freeze, <laughs> freezing his butt off, he's probably more likely to be patient when it comes to delivering that flight consistently on the bank and having to work hard at it and understanding that if he's persistent, good things are going to happen. Sure. And then uh, what about stealth? Yeah, absolutely. Like you mentioned, these animals out there are fighting for their lives. We're out there for fun, um, and so it's it's they're used to getting chased around by predators and what have you. So they're always on the look. Um, that's why, personally, you know, whatever hunting uh, avenue that you choose to to pursue, if you do choose to pursue that. Um, it's completely up to you, but I personally, I, I really enjoy the archery side of things, Joe, because it, it requires me to get a little closer, um, and it gives the animal an opportunity to be able to, to, to smell you, see you, hear you, and the same thing with, with fishing over here is, um, you know, I, I really enjoy the fly aspect of fishing. I can kind of correlate that. Uh, more of just standing on the the shore and 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 chucking gear out there the delivering a fly in the perfect manner to 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 fish just there's just something about that that um makes me really want to get out on the water each yeah time. so the the anglers that i was talking about so we got patience persistence mm-hmm. you know just believing that it's going to happen if they do their job right they don't whining's not going to get them anywhere complaining's not going to get them anywhere they need to be persistent and patient they got to be stealthy. Mm-hmm. We can't raise awareness to the trout, right? Slapping our cast down. Yep. Uh, and I laugh at this one because when I have point, I teach basic fly fishing classes, and I use a lot of hunting analogies in there because I think people really begin to appreciate that those fish are trying to escape with their lives. If there was, and we're looking across a beautiful canyon right now, but if there was a deer on that canyon wall right over there, beautiful mule deer buck, and I'm thinking, okay. We're going to get some meat. We're going to get some lean, organic, protein-packed, <laughs> wild mountain meat right there. We're going to fill the freezer up, Curtis. Hey, Curtis, why don't, you take, why don't you take that buck? And you said, hang on, let me shoot a couple practice shots over here to the left. And you, you went bang, bang, and you shot a couple of practice shots. Then you look back and you said, hey, where's the buck? I think that buck's still going to be standing there after we've taken a couple practice shots. Oh, my gosh, no. Why do we treat trout or any fish any differently 
Well, yeah. I'll tell you why, because we can't see them when they swim away a sure. lot of the time. <laughs> but they don't. They react the same way. When a trout feels like he's under fire from somebody slapping the water or line hitting down, he wins. All he has to do is say no thanks when dinner is served. I mean, the trout's job to, to succeed is much easier. And I will tell you, most people would be absolutely floored at the number of fish that are actually in this river when 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 they fish it's you know it's often for the amateur angler it, it's much noisier it's a little bit sloppier there's a lot of recasting where they might miss a shot by two feet and then they pick the fly up and that makes noise and it raises awareness to the trout then finally they get a good shot in there after three or four attempts where's the trout yep. <laughs> the trout put his hard hat on ducked and covered and swam for shelter there just like the mule deer would run away so that delicacy, that stealth, that quietness, and that predatory approach on the trout, people would be absolutely shocked or floored at the number of trout they can uncover when they're able to set that fly down in an extremely stealthy manner. Because last time I checked, most bugs land pretty soft. Got it. Even a grasshopper doesn't make a huge commotion like... That's why there's nothing better than throwing that dry fly in the, the weeds and giving it a little streamer strip, you know, just letting it just walk out of the grass. But... <laughs> Yeah, there's a there's an incredible number of similarities, uh, and then uh, you know regarding harvest, I would say, you know, you know harvesting a you know fish or whatever. I don't think most fly fishermen. I think there's this persona that fly fishermen are just adamantly against killing all fish, and I don't think that's entirely true. I personally would like to see all wild trout released in rivers i i think there's probably some exceptions in in certain areas that are very underfished and wilderness areas and whatnot but the trout are up against a number of adversities and frankly i think that resource is put the best use when we can catch them multiple times and people enjoy nature um wild trout don't tend to regenerate themselves in a way that uh, creates uh, adequate sustainable harvest um you know, deer, deer and other big game animals, on the other hand, we have expert biologists that have determined what the carrying capacity is for a particular habitat. We can harvest those surplus animals, put them to good use, eat them, put them on the table, get our meat the old-fashioned way, if you will. But I don't think fly fishermen in general as a population are opposed to keeping, you know, sam, you know, where it's legal. Um, biologists and other fisheries managers have determined that some retention of sport, you know, sport fish caught fish is okay. So keeping hatchery steelhead. Keeping warm water fish, like some bass, smallmouth bass. Biologists have said if we want better smallmouth fishing, keep more smallmouth bass. And that's mm -hmm. a great table fish. Uh, saltwater fish. Um, I can't complain if you keep a few mahi-mahi. <laughs> I did that this year. They're great. Uh, and so there is definitely some opportunities to still keep and retain fish. There's lots of put-and-take lakes where you can still fly fish and still keep some fish as well. I think that's important. I think that's really the basis of why we're out there trying to capture things on hooks and strings is we do want to be able to eat fish at some point. Um, and modern management is done so accurately and so well that, you know, if it's, you know, the fisheries managers in general, if they say it's okay to retain some fish, don't feel bad about it. Retain some fish. Just make sure you eat them and put them to good use. It's an awesome way to go get some, some great food the old-fashioned way and, uh, you know, share it around the table with your friends and family. So I think that's kind of somewhat of a misconception between the fly fishing and hunting communities that all fly fishermen are just, you got to release everything. You know, it's like, it's like we're a bunch of vegans out here with fly rods. It's entirely not the case. <laughs> you know, a bunch of closet rednecks out here with fly rods. <laughs> that's it. Really what's going on. Uh, 
But, you know, that's, you know, I think that's a pretty good first podcast on talking fly fishing versus hunting. But let's talk about the, the event we have coming up. We're going to celebrate National Public Lands Day coming up September 30th. And I would hope anybody in the Northwest that hears this podcast would join us for that. Uh, tell us a little bit about the sporting, well... Tell us a little bit about the theme of the event in National yeah. Public Lands Day. You know, National Public Lands Day. So what? What we don't? I don't think enough people realize is it's our land. Um, you know, this is what was it? Six hundred and forty million acres. Six hundred and forty million acres that is our land. And so what we're trying to do with September thirtieth is give uh, everybody as many avenues as possible of of actually being able to get out and 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 enjoy this land that we have. And so. Uh, whether it's fishing or hunting or, or what have you, we want to show you everything from how to access these lands, um, what may be op- or what opportunities may be available on the lands, and then if, if we're lucky enough to harvest something, um, we have everything from processing uh, what you may find on our land uh, to um, everything from uh, training you know our dogs to. to to better have success in the field and so there's just a ton of seminars around 20 free to the public seminars that we have going on um, everything from processing to, to big game to to wild game cooking um, tons of fun family games for the kids as well we're going to have animal id games um, just everything that involves uh, accessing our public land joe yeah we need to get people off the couch we need to get them off the kids off the smartphones and the video games and all the other garbage that is ruining America. There, I said it. <laughs> kids need to get outside. Uh, but yeah, we're gonna have lots of avenues to get on public land. Uh, I'm personally into a seminar on public land do-it-yourself fisheries in Central Washington, and that's gonna be everything but the Yakima Canyon. If you come to the seminar, you're going to be able to see the Yakima River from the seminar. So <laughs> it might be kind of silly to talk about where to go. But uh, I'm going to talk about tons of creeks, streams, and lakes. I want to equip you with the, the intel and the information to go out and fly fish all these public waters. And as Curtis said, it's going to be a, it's going to be a little bit more oriented towards hunting because it's fall. Uh, but we also, uh, on the flip side, we do a fly fishing specific rendezvous every April. Mm-hmm. And so... You can watch the website uh, for that information. But National Public Lands Day, uh, September 30th, there's going to be a sporting clays tournament that you can just show up at our sporting clays courts. There's groups going out at 8, 10, and noon. There's going to be door prizes. If you hit one of the crazy colored clay pigeons, <laughs> you could win all sorts of stuff. We're doing a guided pheasant hunt, a night at Canyon River Lodge, uh, a group dinner to Canyon River Grill. A uh, bunch of good prizes for hitting the crazy colored clay pigeon. And you can just show up at the, the entrance to our sporting clays course and be ready to shoot by 8, 10, or noon. Just pay cash at the, the deal there. But, yeah, it's going to be an amazing event, and it's free to the public. I'm not sure we mentioned that or not. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, we hope to see you guys there. Uh, anyway, that's been another episode of the Men Podcast, Fly Fishing versus Hunting. We will definitely be talking more about this. Uh, Like we said, fly fishermen, fishermen, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts of all types. Guys, we all need each other to be on the same page and enjoy and preserve and protect and conserve all these resources, both from a habitat and species standpoint, so that we have all of these great resources for years to come.